0: In order that we may also be glorified with him. Well, imagine with me a child who is adopted into a loving family. This adoption means many wonderful blessings for this child. This child now has a father and a mother committed to his welfare. This child now has their loving embrace and he has their instruction and he has their discipline. He may now have new siblings. There are many blessings that come to a child when he is adopted by a loving family. Last Sunday, we spent both our morning service and our evening service thinking about the wonder of having been adopted by God. What an incredible thing. We first looked at the blessing of having God as our Father. And we saw that by His Spirit, God has conceived us and that He is giving us something of His character. He is developing His character within us as Christians. This is how our adoption by God is different from human adoptions. If if I adopt a child... I didn't conceive the child. The child has not inherited my genetic traits. But when God chooses to adopt us, he actually makes us a new creation. He conceives us by the seed of his word and, and actually works to make him like us in his character from the inside. But on top of that, when we are adopted by God, we gain his fatherly, tenderly love He cares for us. God provides for us. He protects us. If God is for us, who can be against us? We saw that we now have access to God in prayer and not just access to Him as as loyal subjects. No, we now get to approach God as His children. We approach Him with hearts that cry, Abba, Father, Father. And in this adoption, we have God's never-ending loyalty. Our God will never cast us aside or be done with us. We are His children forever and ever. And His love for us will never fail. And His love for us will never end. We then considered last Sunday night the glory of being a child of God. And we saw that this brings us into a position of honor and dignity. It is great enough to be adopted, but it is all the more glorious to be adopted by royalty. And there is no higher king than God himself. There is no one with a throne superior to our father's throne. What's more, through our adoption, we've been given a new home. Our citizenship has changed. We we now belong to the kingdom of heaven. This fallen world is no longer our home. We are pilgrims passing through to a land that flows with milk and honey. We even have a new relationship with other Christians. Because of our adoption by God through Jesus, you and I as Christians are brothers and sisters in Christ. Our kinship to others by blood is temporary, but our kinship to those who have faith in Jesus is eternal. Faith is thicker than blood, and you and I who are Christians will be brothers and sisters in Christ forever. And on and on we went last week about verse 15 and the wonders of it and the incredible truth that we have been adopted by God if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus. And my prayer is that every person in this room will trust and know the Lord Jesus Christ and this great adoption by God. But before we end our study of verse 15, and we've been here for several weeks, we need to acknowledge that with these great, great blessings of adoption also come important responsibilities. Uh, when a child is adopted into a family, that child is expected to follow the rules of the family. Uh, the child is expected to try and honor that family, to walk honorably. You now have a last. Uh, you now have a new last name. Will you honor that name with your life, so to speak? You see, adoption in the human realm has great blessings, but also responsibilities. And this is how it is with our relationship with God. And so this morning, I want to finish fleshing out this verse by drawing out the implication for us that as Christians and children of God, we have special responsibilities in this family. Great privileges. (laughs) Privileges beyond our ability to imagine. But great responsibilities as well. So if we believe Romans 8 15 is true and that God is now our loving father caring for us every moment, what does that require from us right now? I want to give you five answers to that question from the Bible. What are our responsibilities as the adopted children of God? Number one, we are to respect and love our father. We are to respect and to love our Father. Certainly we would all agree that we are to honor God and to give God praise because He is God. He is the Almighty, and we are but dust. He is the potter, and we are but clay. But this truth of adoption gives us another reason to honor God. He is now our father. The fifth commandment teaches us you shall honor your father and your mother. One of the reasons that God instituted the family and created the office of parents was to teach us as Christians how to relate rightly to Him. We are to treat God with the kind of respect and honor that we owe our earthly parents. Remember, the Bible presents the office of parent as a high office, an office of authority. Parents in Scripture times had the authority to put their children to work, to make them apprentices, to arrange their marriages. The parents could even legally have their children put to death for disobedience. And thus children knew from an early age that mixed with their love for their parents was to be intermingled, this sense of reverence and respect. Mom and dad are not to be treated lightly. God promised great blessings to those children who were wise enough to honor their parents. And he promised curses on those who did not. All of this was meant to teach us about our relationship with God. We are to respect our God. We are to love our God. In the Scriptures, there are few relationships so full of love as that of parent and child. Uh, Most of us can testify from our own experience that this is true. Yes, there is sin in this world. And sometimes sin ruins relationships between parents and their children. But in general, most of us would say that one of the strongest love relationships in our lives has been that of our love for our parents and our love for our children. All of us in here have parents. Cannot most of us testify of the special bond of love that we have with them or had? And those of you in here with children, can you not say that there's something different about the way you relate to your children as opposed to other people's children? You love all of the children in this church, but there is a unique bond of love between you and your children. What is this about? Why why did God create us this way? It is God teaching us about His fatherly love towards us. Psalm 103, verse 13, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. You see, children are to respect their parents. Children are to respond to their parents' love with love of their own. And therefore, we are to love and respect our father. Indeed, we are to love him because he first loved us. Our father came to us in our need. Our father set his sights on us and he adopted us and he has taken us into his arms. Along those lines, we need to remember that our father is always watching us. In this relationship, it is not like we are young men or young women, teenagers, Teenage children are often out from under the supervision of their parents. They're, they're learning to be independent. They're on their own. But that's not how it is with us and our father. We are more like small children. Small children that can never be without supervision. You leave the child alone for long and he gets in all kinds of trouble. Parents of small children know that if there are children in another room and you don't hear any noises... It usually means something bad is going on. Small children need supervision. Dear church, you and I are never outside of our Father's supervision. He loves to keep a watch on us. It is His joy to care for us. Our Father is not watching us in order to catch us doing something wrong so He can condemn us. No. Our Father is watching over us in order to help us and to care for us and to protect us. There is nothing we do that is not done before His eyes. We do live coram deo before the face of God. Maybe that frightens you a tiny bit knowing that your Father is watching you every moment of every day. And certainly part of God's love for us means that He will discipline us When he sees us doing wrong. But I hope dear Christian that this mainly gives you great comfort and security. The God who is watching me every moment is my father and he loves me. And continuing under this point we are to obey God. Out of childlike love for him as our father. One of the most important ways that we show our father that we love him is by obeying him. The Proverbs often speak about how pleasing our parents is a motivation for obedience. Solomon tells his sons to be wise because doing so will make their father and their mother glad. There is a God-given desire in most children to want to make their parents proud, to want to please them children long to hear dad and mom say well done children you've you've made us very happy and this is a new motivation for us to obey our god uh, one old hymn says this well i love this it says to see the law of christ i'm sorry to see the law by christ fulfilled to hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice And this is what's happened for us. We are no longer slaves seeking to obey God out of sheer obligation. We do have a duty to obey God, but we no longer have just a duty to obey God. We now have another motivation. Our duty is now our choice. We want to obey God. He is our Father. He loves us. We want to please Him. It is our pleasure to honor our Father. The Puritan, Jeremiah Burroughs, said it this way. He said, do all you do out of love. Be not mercenary. A servant does not care to do anything any further than he might be paid for it. But for a child, it is not so. He does what he does out of love. We are no longer just servants of God. We are are children of God. So let us love and respect our Father. Number two, as adopted children, we are to submit to our father's discipline. This is a rule in any family that would adopt a child. That child is expected to submit to the rules of the house and the discipline of the house. My boys have a choice to make every time the moment comes for them to be disciplined. Benjamin, I'm going to use him as as an example, because he's at an age where he still occasionally receives a spanking from time to time. If Benjamin has done something wrong, and I announce to him that his punishment in this case is a spanking, he can respond in one of two ways. He can try and get away from me. He can scream and he can yell and he can throw a temper tantrum and he can fight against me as I seek to discipline him. He can cry out that I'm not being fair. He can resist the discipline. That's one way to respond. Or he could say, I know that I've done wrong, Daddy. And he could remain still and receive his punishment without grumbling. The first way ends up being far more difficult and far more painful for him. The second way is over much more quickly, and his lesson is learned. Now, that illustration isn't really about Benjamin about me and my relationship with God and you and your relationship with God. How do you respond when God brings discipline into your life? When God brings a difficult trial to you in order to confront some sin in your life, you have a choice. You can throw a temper tantrum at God. You can can cry out to God. You're being unfair to me. This is too much. This is too much. Why are you doing this to me? You could even say, God, if you really loved me, you wouldn't treat me this way. You can kick against the trial. You can try to avoid the trial. You can refuse to learn the lesson of the trial. And if you do that, you should only expect the trial to last longer or to have another one come after it because the lesson wasn't learned. But God really does care about you and me. And like any good father, he is not going to let us continue in sin unchecked. He's going to do what he must do to make us humble and holy. God delights in us. Wonder of wonders, our God delights in us. And therefore, he disciplines us. And so we should learn to submit to it. The discipline seems to me much lighter when we learn to submit to it, when we confess our sins to God, when we see to understand, when we try to understand what God is teaching us through this trial or this tribulation, when we seek to learn the lessons of the trial and to humble ourselves before Almighty God in the trial, these are times when our Father does much good in us. Remember Hebrews 12. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son he receives. And so in light of that, as trials come, do not fight the discipline of your father, but receive it quietly, knowing that it is all motivated by love and that its result will be eternal joy and peace. Number three. As adopted children, we have a responsibility to walk worthy of our Father's name. We have a responsibility to walk worthy of our Father's name. Did you have a father like that? Because I did. Justin, you're part of the Nail family. (laughs) The way you live and act reflects on us. It reflects on our name. Walk in such a way that our name will be respected and not reviled. I know that the kinds of choices my sons make and the kind of men that they become will have will, will be a reflection upon me. This doesn't mean that I'm to blame for every failure in their lives. It doesn't mean that I get credit for their successes. But it does mean that, that my boys and I have a special bond and a common name and therefore our actions reflect on one another. Well, God has chosen to unite himself to us and to place his very name upon us. We are the children of God. There are certain last names where all I have to do is say them and immediately you will have a sense of either respect or revulsion come into your mind and heart. Let's see if that isn't so. Washington. Lincoln. Churchill. Sense of respect? Stalin. Manson. Hitler. What happens immediately in your heart and mind? Is it not this sense of revulsion? You see, those names are forever adorned or tainted by the lives of those who wore them. And even today, most of us would acknowledge that there are certain families that we have great respect for and there are certain families that we do not have great respect for. There are certain families that their very name is marked by trustworthiness and honor and fairness and there are others that are not. Mount Hermon, as Christians, we wear the name Christ. We walk in this world as children of God, our Heavenly Father. Let us remember these names that we wear, and let us walk worthy of those names. We should long to be such people of love and integrity that people do not revile God because of us, but that they reverence Him even more because of us. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The third commandment says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And certainly that means we shouldn't speak of God in irreverent or offensive ways. It pains me when I hear people speak of God without a sense of respect in their voice. I hope it pains you. When you hear the name of your God or the name of your elder brother, Christ, used with disrespect or flimsily, whimsically, with no reverence. But there are other ways of taking God's name in vain. Front and center in the third commandment is the warning not to take God's name in an oath and then not to keep your promise. If you call on God as your witness and then fail to do what you have said, you will be judged. But there is more than even that in the third commandment. The third commandment is not just about speaking God's name carelessly, it's just as much about wearing God's name carelessly. Mount Hermon, when you are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that is a pivotal, important moment. You do not do that lightly. From that day forth, you wear the name child of God, follower of Christ, one who has been brought in to, to the kingdom. Will you walk worthy of that name? The title child of God is more regal and more glorious than prince of England or president of the United States. The title child of God is more noble than winning the Medal of Honor or an Olympic gold medal or the Nobel Prize. You've received an honor above all of those. You've received it undeservedly. You've received it by grace. You've received it at the cost of the blood of the Lamb. Do not let God's name be tainted by your life, by your failure to keep your promises by your failure to to pay your debts on time, by people saying, well, he or she can't be trusted, or we know how he lives or she lives. As far as it depends on you, may more people be inclined to love and respect your father because of you than not. Number four, as adopted children of God, we have a responsibility to love our siblings we have a responsibility to love our siblings. You see, being adopted by God means being adopted into this wonderful family where you now have millions of brothers and sisters and you are to love them all. Throughout the Bible, we see that brothers and sisters are to have a special love for one another, a special care for one another. An example of this is Deuteronomy 23.7. Where God says to Israel, you shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. See, the Israelites were from Jacob. The Edomites were descended from Esau, Jacob's brother. And so the Edomites were the brethren of the Israelites. And even though the Edomites continued to treat Israel contemptuously, even though the Edomites continued to act treacherously and even uh, attacked Israel and uh, came and ravaged Jerusalem, God told Israel, You will not abhor Edom. Why? Because he is your brother. You see, this is how siblings are to relate to one another, they are to have such a love for one another that they can say to each other, though you fight me, though you hate me, though you do me wrong, I will continue to love you and I will never stop loving you. You are my kin. Our love for one another and for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ is to be a steadfast love, a strong love. We are to love our brothers and sisters all around the world. We have not met the vast majority of our siblings. And though they speak different languages, though they have different customs, we are to love them. We are to pray for them, even as they pray for us. And when we meet in heaven, even when we meet on earth, we are to greet one another as brothers and sisters. Should we have someone walk in from Myanmar today, a brother in Christ, we ought not to treat him as a foreigner but as one of us, as one who is connected to us through Christ. We are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ right here in this community. Yes, there are many fellow Christians who have different ideas about some things, but we are one in the gospel. We are one through our faith in Jesus. On many non-essentials, we may disagree. Some Christians baptize babies, others don't. Some speak in tongues, others don't. Different churches look different from one another. Their worship is different. Their priorities are sometimes different. And we might lovingly criticize certain things about them as they might lovingly criticize certain things about us. But let us be clear. We are always to treat anyone who believes the gospel as a brother or sister in Christ. And we are not to disparage them we are not to treat them with disrespect or with dishonor. We are always to love them. Anytime we can conscientiously join hands with them and serve the kingdom together, we should. And we should be constantly praying for the health of all the churches in our community. We should rejoice any anytime any church sees real gospel success and real conversions to Christ in our lifetime. The family of God is fractured into hundreds of denominations and hundreds of thousands of different kinds of churches and there seems to be no way around that. But without compromising God's truth, let us strive for real peace and unity and fellowship with God's children. We are one family in Christ. Certainly we are to show great love to our brothers and sisters here in our own church. Cain asked God, am I my brother's keeper? And the New Testament answer is yes. <laughs> we are to be keepers of one another, servants of one another, encouragers and admonishers of one another, helping each other run the race. We are to weep when each other weeps. We are to rejoice when each other is rejoicing. We are to be learning from God's Word together as a family, and then helping each other apply and live out that Word. There are to be no isolated Christians here. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. How many times have you heard siblings talk about how they always mess around with each other and push with each other and even fight with each other, but if anybody else messes with their brother or sister, that's different. They will be right there to defend them and protect them, right? You've you seen that before, right? Brothers pushing and fighting, but if anybody else pushes and fights, they have their back. This is how it is. In a world where we have the flesh against us, we have the world against us, we have the devil against us, we need to have each other's back. And therefore, we must be quick to forgive one another. and We must be quick to lay down our lives in order to help each other. In service to one another we are gifts to one another and we need each other uh, I've mentioned our brothers and sisters around the world I've mentioned our brothers and sisters in our community I've mentioned our brothers and sisters in this church but I also should mention our brothers and sisters in Christ who have already lived and died and are now awaiting our arrival in heaven You see, you and I, we are part of the church militant. We're still in the battle, but they are the church victorious. Their race has been won. And you and I have so many blessings today because of the sacrifices and the faithfulness of brothers and sisters that went before us. From Abraham to Moses to David to Paul, from Augustine to Aquinas to Calvin to Edwards, millions of faithful Christians whose names we do not know. They paved the way for the gospel to come to us and for us to have the word of God now. Some of your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents were instrumental in helping this church be founded on the word of God and stay true to the word of God when other churches in eastern North Carolina were not In the same way, if Jesus does not come back, there are generations of brothers and sisters in Christ coming after us. We show love to them by being faithful today. We show love to future brothers and sisters in Christ by passing the gospel on in purity today. By preaching the gospel and training up a new generation of Jesus-loving, gospel-loving disciples. Let us do all that we can in our society, in our community, and in our church so that a century from now, others will be standing on our shoulders as they seek to be faithful to God and accomplish great things in Him, through Him, and for Him. Let us love all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And let's close with this one, number five. As adopted children, we have a responsibility to draw near To our father. You see Christianity is a relationship. Yes it is more than that. But it is not less than that. At the heart of having God as our father. Is the amazing reality. That he wants to commune with us. We get to fellowship with him. God loves to be with us and he invites us. Yes, he even commands us to draw near to him. He commands us to draw near to him with boldness because we are his children. We need not fear his wrath. We can come right into his arms. We can rest upon him. We can feel his love. I live a long way away from my father. 700 miles. When I think of the idea of my boys maybe one day living 700 miles away, honestly that's not an idea that I like very much. I hope it never happens. But I live 700 miles away from my parents and we do not get to see each other as often as we would like. A few years ago, my dad and I met in Louisville. We were attending a conference together. and The conference was great, but getting to spend those hours with my dad talking about important things and just being together that was invaluable to me and i remember we were walking down one of the hallways of the the conference center and it just it just had a moment where i just had to tell him how thankful i was for him and how much i loved him and how grateful i was for how he had always cared for me for so many years my dad always did care a lot for his family and nothing he did ever meant more to us than when he spent time with us, when we were able to fellowship with him. For me, the moments I picture are the moments in high school when he and I would get up early in the morning, um, go to Hardy's and get a biscuit. We would pray that God would give us safe travels. We'd drive about an hour and a half to Carter Lake in northern Georgia, and we'd bass fish. And we would probably say 10 words the whole time we were on the boat. Hardly said a word, but that didn't matter. We had a great time and we were together. We were together. Mount Hermon, of all that God has given you and done for you as your father. Nothing compares with the fact that you get to be with him. There is nothing better than drawing near to him and he commands you to do so. You can be with him right now through prayer and through his word. You can be with him right now as he speaks to you through the glory of creation, the trees and the sun and the sky. But dear church, there is coming a day when you will know the fullness of the presence of God like you have never known it before. You will enter into your Father's presence, into His palace, into His joy, and you will be with Him forever. So while we're here, do not neglect the greatest of all gifts. Commune with your Father. Spend time with Him every day. Mount Hermon is a wonderful privilege to be adopted. It has come to us by grace through Jesus Christ. Let us trust God and let us seek to be faithful children of God. Let's pray.